In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus 34. Way back in chapter 31, you'll remember that Moses, in anger over the people of Israel worshiping that golden calf, he broke the first tablets upon which God himself inscribed the Ten Commandments. Well, in today's episode, we see God's response. God's response to Moses' intercession on behalf of the people. God offers a new set of tablets and re reaffirms his covenant with the people. So we see that even when the people fail to keep the covenant, God is faithful. Good morning and blessed Epiphany Tide. Today is January 10th, 2023, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We give thanks to God for our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. Well, yesterday we resumed from our Christmas break, and so today we keep on digging into Exodus and God's activity amongst his people. And to help us in our discussion this morning, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show regular guest, the Reverend John Lekomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Lekomsky. What is new for you this new year? Well, well, Pastor Boo, not, nothing's really new for me. I am up with you in Minnesota as we're doing this recording. And, oh. and I see that in Minnesota, you haven't learned about global warming yet. <laughs> no, no, it passed us over. Well, yeah, what tickles me, Pastor Boo, is, is you know, a few weeks ago, I, I was checking out the, 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 the roadmaps and everything in preparation for driving up here after Christmas, and I noticed that your neck of the woods of Minnesota was shut down, that all the roads were just yep. closed, and I suspect that this last week, you probably had a similar phenomenon because we got hit again with another, what, a foot of snow or whatever? I, I don't know what the actual... Yeah, we got about 12 inches. Yeah, it yeah. is an unusual phenomenon. Um, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, you talk about global warming. Well, I don't know about that, but I do hear a lot of people talk about things like, well, when I was a kid, we used to have these types of winters all the time, and, and now we don't. Now, I don't know if the snow just seemed bigger when they were kids because they were smaller, but still, people even here in Minnesota who you think would be pretty hardened to the snow were caught off guard the last couple of weeks with all the snow we've got. So, uh, I live in a parsonage, so I'm right next door to the church, and I watched yesterday as dump truck after dump truck after dump truck for hours uh, and a big backhoe took away the snow that had been piling up from us just plowing our driveway, uh, and the city was removing snow from the streets by dump truck. So it was it was quite the undertaking, but it's one that they're used to doing. Well, I, the article I read, uh, Pastor Boo said that this is the largest snow you've had in 30 years. So wow. apparently this is a, even a little unusual for Minnesota. And, and thank you so much for doing it while we were up here. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and, you know, because we could have nice come up. We didn't really experience. need all this snow, but but at least it, 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 you know what it was, though? It was fun to send pictures back to the family in, in St. Louis area where we got the snow and the piles that are taller than, than the people are. <laughs> so. Oh, yes. <laughs> All yeah, the neighborhood yeah. kids come and play in the snow pile that's in my backyard. Uh, it's, you know, it's probably almost about 20 feet now, I would say. And they, they dig tunnels in it and dig little caves and holds and slide down it because otherwise it's very flat here. So you have to take advantage of every pile of snow you can see. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
Well, brother, um, you know, I mentioned uh, as I introduced you that you were the co-host of Wrestling with the Basics. Uh, what, what are you guys studying over there on Saturdays at 9 a.m. right now? Anything you'd like to let the <laughs> listeners know about? Well, the exciting thing about Wrestling with the Basics is we had to do without our star co-host, uh, Reverend Matt Clark, for about three months because Matt is uh, finishing up his Doctor of Ministry degree and he needed to have some time off. But yeah, uh, starting this week, Matt will be back and uh, we're doing some talk about the, the sons of David, particularly Absalom mm. and uh, Solomon. But the exciting thing is we've got Matt back with us, so we're, we're looking Excellent. forward to getting back into that routine. Well, that's great. Well, I tell you what. Well, today we have quite a bit to go through, so I say we get started. Would you like to start us off in prayer? Oh, Lord, we, we pray that, that you will not veil Moses for us like it was for the children of Israel. But they do allow us to hear the law and all of its force and all of its glory and it's all of its might. Uh, and that hearing that law, we will be convicted of our sins. But then, O oh Lord, also let us hear clearly in this scripture the message you've given us of a God who is slow to anger, a God of, of steadfast love and forgiveness, uh, that we might live every day in faith, even though we are sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, yesterday, which happened to be, just out of curiosity, my 100th episode as host of Thy Strong Word. Oh, I had congratulations. Pastor, yeah, I had uh, I had Pastor uh, Brady Finnern on, who was my predecessor here on the show, on District President up in Minnesota North. We covered Exodus 33, and we covered that situation where you know Moses wants to see God, and God shows him his back, let's say. Um, now we're in 34. It's still the same situation though it's the same context so maybe catch the people up so that everybody's on the same page as we go into our new chapter well and i'm even going to press you back a little further because the last time Excellent. you and i uh, were together uh and by the way i hope you had a blessed christmas and a blessed new year mm -hmm. um uh, we were talking about the first time uh, that god was establishing a covenant uh here on mount sinai and i notice as i look at the headings of, of my bible here it says the renewal of the covenant um, so, so yeah, you, you've got this thing where, where God came and gave them the covenant and, and they said, oh, we'll do this. And then everything falls apart. Uh, and of course, you've got the tablets of stone being broken, as you said. Uh, and yet you've got Moses remaining uh, the faithful intercessor, re remaining the one who, who wants to see God. And, and, and God, of course, says, well, no, uh, actually, you die if you would see my glory and all of its glory, but, but you can see my backside. And, and now God says, all right, now that we've got you tended to Moses, now that I've strengthened your faith, you, you know that you're still the one I've chosen. Let's go back and, and, and reestablish the people because they too are probably at now in their relationship, especially after breaking the number one commandment. The one thing I told you not to do is, is you know, build idols, and, and I turn my back, and right away, that's what you do. And so that's what we have now. At this point, we're going to reestablish this covenant, although there's going to be some striking things that are different from the second time around than the first. A lot of similarities, but some striking differences that are worth noting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and you're right about them making that idol. Uh, you know, I don't want to dwell on it, but it just it boggles the mind. It's like you literally had one job, and that is to believe in the <laughs> one true God. And, you know, Moses just well, it takes a little over a month, and all of a sudden you're like, nope, nope, we're just going to work. It's just ridiculous when I think about it. Um, yep, I tell you what, yeah. um, and, if it's all right with and you— yet, Pastor Boo, just, 
no, Pastor, just real quick. And, and yet what we need to realize is we do that every day. We do that every yes, day. We, we do, do the same thing. Uh, Lynn and I just got through doing the feeding, uh, uh, the, the business where Jesus says, you know, beware the 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 the, the uh, uh, yeast of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And, and the disciples think he's concerned because they forgot to bring any bread. <laughs> and Jesus right. says, really, guys, did we not just feed 5,000? Do we not? For, do you really think I'm concerned about it? And yet Lynn and I reflected, we do the same thing. We get up and we're, oh, my Money's a little tight. I don't know if we're going to pay our bills, you know, and, and, and all along, Jesus is just saying, look, I'm going to take care of you no matter what. Can't you understand? That's all you need to do is to have trust in me. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus, as we'll see in this text, as you alluded to already, God just goes ahead and, and takes care of us, even though we failed, even though we haven't. We are the people of little faith, which is a phrase Jesus uses all the time for his disciples. Yes, sin is irrational in others and, of course, in ourselves too. So whenever we fall into sin and, and we think, oh, why am I doing this? Or why am I not trusting God? He's given me every reason to. Uh, it, not, I don't know that it's comforting, but one thing we should keep in mind is that it is irrational. And so yeah. certainly God understands our position. So I tell you what, I'm going to read the first, uh, let's look at it, nine verses, which okay. is pretty much the... the uh, the end of the section that started yesterday. Yahweh said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as Yahweh had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So, uh, as you said, you know Moses is looking for that affirmation for himself, but he's also constantly interceding on behalf of the people, uh, and that's a tough job. You know, they constantly moan and complain, as we've heard, and yet he still stands between them and God and pleads for mercy from God. And we also have in this text uh, some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. So, let's start off. Take us through this, brother. Okay, so so as I, I said earlier, uh, we we have a repetition of, of what has happened before. Uh, we've had the two tablets of stone before, and now we're we're going to do the tablets of stone again. Uh, this phrase, "Be ready, uh, be ready in the morning." That that phrase was also there at the beginning, at the first uh, giving of the covenant. Uh, the warning that everyone should stay away from the mountain. Again, that's that's from the first covenant. Uh, in fact, it says the Lord descended upon the mountain. Again, that's a phrase from the first giving of the covenant. Uh, the fact that the people are afraid to come near, we haven't got to that yet, but we'll see that 
at the end of this chapter, only now it's not just God, it's Moses himself that they're afraid uh, to come near to. But, but the thing that struck me is there's two big differences here in this renewal of the covenant. Aaron was a key figure in the first renewal. In fact, uh, he's invited to come up with Moses originally. He's invited to come up then with the elders, secondly. But you'll notice no Aaron, no, no elders here. And I suppose that's because Aaron is actually the ringleader, isn't he, Pastor Boo? He's the one that actually right. suggests that maybe building an idol might be a good thing to do since we don't know what's happened to Moses. But the other thing that I think is particularly striking is, is I remember the first time we did this, twice and maybe three times but twice for sure the crowd said oh oh we'll do this we'll do this and, and you'll notice we don't have any of that here because obviously they 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 won't do it they can't do it um and, and i think what this text this chapter is so beautiful for us as christians and and, and you mentioned it already at the beginning of the show that the, the point is god keeps the covenant now i'm not saying we shouldn't keep the law no, because if you don't keep the law, terrible things happen, okay, to you and the people around you. God doesn't give you the law because he wants to boss people, but he gives the law because he loves people. And it's a good thing to do. But, but, but the thing is, is it doesn't change God. It doesn't change God. Uh, he's still going to do what he promised to do. And, and then I think it's, it's significant that you have this beautiful 13 attributes of God is what the Jews call it. And verse 6 and 7, this beautiful description of what God is like. Um, and I think it's also striking that he, he he said similar things in the first covenant, but they're reversed here. Because uh, if you remember from the first time the commandments were given, he starts by talking about visiting the iniquity. And then he talks about how he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger. But here, and I, I think reflecting the fact that the, the people are, they're frightened, they're worried. Moses is frightened and worried. What is this God going to do to us? Having, having done this horrible, and he's punished us already. What other punishments might come? And so he begins then with, with the, the mercy and the grace and the slow to anger and the abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness. And so, people, this is just, if you ever find yourself feeling guilty and you find yourself worrying and you find yourself wondering, what, what is God going to do to me? Because you, you know you've done wrong. Man, read this chapter and, and remember who the Lord is, the, the, the Lord, the Lord, uh, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. Um, of course, on the other hand, if you're out there doing evil and don't think it's a problem, then you probably should remember the business about visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it just depends on where you're standing, I suppose. Well, and, and God's presence appears to be, huh, I guess for lack of a better word, stronger, more powerful in this case. You know, this is why we even see, like, don't even bring the animals nearby. You know, he's coming down, and, you know, Moses has already asked. He wants to see God, you know, a little more closely, I suppose, and we, we talked about that yesterday. But now, because God's presence is going to be, you know, even more filling and dwelling in this place from our point of view— uh, then, then you know, you keep these people away. You keep these uh, the animals away, and now, as you pointed out, we get this beautiful description of who God is, and it begins with like a repetition of His name. It's it's like He's talking in the in the third person, which is why I I, I translate the name on the fly when we read these when we see the Lord in all caps because. Um, it's it's hard if you're not sitting here looking at the Bible to see that he's talking about his name as opposed to just the Lord. So, you know, Yahweh passed before him, which is what he asked for, and proclaimed Yahweh 
Yahweh, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, etc. And it, it's like these are explaining even what his name is about, that, that he is this God who has all of these beautiful characteristics, but he's not one, as you pointed out, to take advantage of. And I think that's what we see a lot. You know, we, we've gotten to the point where, you know, well, it, it doesn't matter if you sin because God will just forgive you. And that sort of understanding of our relationship with God is not only toxic, but also dangerous to our salvation. God is a God who is loving and keeps his covenant, but he's also just, and he dispenses punishment on sin. And, you know, he's disp ultimately dispensed that punishment on Christ. But even there, we're not to, to just say, oh, well, you know, God will forgive us. He's our buddy. We don't have to worry about it. We can sin all we want. So let me take you somewhere on this. Uh, because I'm, I'm thinking now that this business about Moses wanting to see God and God essentially saying, well, no, no, you, you really can't see me. Uh, but, but even though you can't see me, you need to know what kind of God I am. Uh, the Lord, the Lord. Yeah. Yahweh, Yahweh. This is, this is the kind of God I am. Um, let me take it. I'm, we're going to, going to get off track here, but we'll, we'll get back because the thing that struck me about this whole business about merciful, gracious, slow to anger. So I was, I was reading my, my Jewish commentary and, and, and the Jews call this the 13 attributes of God. And, and if you, you are a Jew, this is a big thing, a really big thing that they read this on every festival day and on every fast day. So anytime they have a special service, they don't do this as part of their regular Sabbath worship, but any special service, they read this verse. And, and uh, uh, <clears throat> so two things here. First of all, I was thinking, well, wouldn't that be cool if we did that? Maybe we need to read these verses more in our church service. But let, let me show you. And, and again, I'm, I don't want to paint the Jews with a broad brush. I'm, I'm just reading from one particular Jewish commentary. Maybe other Jews have different opinions. But it was interesting what this man said. He, he said, uh, the incorporation of the 13 attributes in the liturgy it's not to be interpreted as an automatic, automatically effective means of attaining forgiveness of sin. And of course, we do, we'd go with that. We, we don't think it's automatic. We, we think there has to be faith, right? <laughs> it's not a magical, I say this and poof. No, there needs to be faith. But here's what really disturbed me. He says, rather the idea is to inculcate the human imitation of God's moral qualities, compassion, graciousness, forbearance, kindness, fealty, forgiveness, uh, which is sad considering, and I thought that was sad. So the Jews read these beautiful words, which are supposed to be what God is like, but they hear them as, oh, well, this is what we're supposed to be like, which again, there's a truth to that. I'm not denying that, right? Be therefore perfect as your father is perfect in heaven, uh, uh, Jesus says. But, but it seems to be a shame to take this beautiful gospel description of, of what God is like and then turn it into a law. And, and all that we can hear then is the works that we need to perform. But now finally I'll get to my point. This is what dawned on me in our discussion. Moses wants to see God. We want to see God. Mm -hmm. But where do you see this God who is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? I, I, the only place I know that you can see a God like that is in Jesus, right. isn't it? And, and, and Jesus it comes me, and fulfills that. So, so it occurred to me, that's why Lutherans don't read this passage every every time we have a festival, because we actually have something greater this than this passage. We actually have seen God, because all of these things are really abstract terms if you think about it. 
But but when you look at it in a Jesus who looks at people and has compassion on them and heals the sick and feeds them when they're hungry and dies for them when they have denied him, you know, uh, now that I think is seeing what the Lord, the Lord is really like, the one who is slow to anger and who forgives iniquity and transgression. Uh, so if anything, we got something better than just this description. We we have actually seen all of this in action. So anyway, that was the thought I wanted to share. No, I think that's great. You know, uh, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. We think of First uh, John one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? Christ comes. And so when it says, you know, that God is not going to by no means will clear the guilty, that is, he will exercise judgment. And he does. He exercises that judgment on Christ. But for those who don't want it, for those who don't put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, for those who don't want to have anything to do with the sacrifice that Jesus made, God will give them what they ask for, and that is that they then will not be cleared from their guilt and will suffer death and hell, but nobody has to. And that's what the beauty of Christ's coming is about. As you said, and I really like that too, I'm just pondering it in my head, that um, that is Christ fulfilling these things that God says right here. I love it. And and the other thing is, as we're talking about the, the third and fourth generation and, and the thousands generation, uh, I, I remember what Luther said <clears throat> to, to note that contrast that, that the wrath and punishment of God is always a limited thing. It, it does go on to the third and fourth generation. If you, if you know someone who has struggled with addiction, it's not unusual for their children and maybe their grandchildren to also have those same kind of problems. Uh, you see that being passed on. But, but Luther said, see, the thing is though, that that's always short and limited. That's not what God wants. But but it will happen and it will go on and, and the, the the visitation of God will come upon us when we do those things. But what God wants is, is a thing of thousands. Uh, and, and, you know, you and I have talked previously about that word, that, that that word actually implies going on and on and on and on uh, to completion. Um, and, and, and again, the Jews, because <laughs> they're sharp, they read their Hebrew, they point out that it's actually more than thousand here because it's in the plurals. It's in the plural. It's so it's thousands. Uh, uh, so, so the emphasis between the wrath, which is for three or four, and and, and the grace and mercy, which no, it's even uh, well, uh, it's. I, I thought it was interesting because the the the, the rabbi said there's a five hundred times different because because they think they, they think well, it's got to be at least two thousand they think because it's in the plural so it can't right. just be eight thousand. And then I thought, well, you know, that's what Jesus said, right? How often do you forgive? Seventy times seven. See, right. so so the the grace and mercy in the end will prevail. Uh, uh, in fact, God wants it to prevail over the iniquity of the fathers. But like you said, if, if you don't want it, well, then I guess what else can God do? <laughs> You've kind of uh, bound him in a sense. Uh, strange to think that you could bind God, but I suppose if you refuse his forgiveness, then I don't know that you give him any other choices. So That's right. Well, and in the previous uh, passages, you know, God had told them that, you know, listen, before Moses interceded, he says, I'm not going to go with you anymore, lest I basically wipe you off the face of the earth. I'm so mad at you. So I'm going to send, but he still protects them. I'm going to send my angel with you. Now Moses intercedes. And now we have here, it seems like Moses is is checking to just make sure that God is still going to be with them. Verses 8, you know, he quickly bowed his head toward the earth. He worshiped, and he said, 
if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, right? So you said you weren't coming with us, and I've interceded, and I'm now continuing to intercede. Yes, it's a stiff-necked people, but forgive our sins, right? Pardon our iniquity. Forgive our sins and take us for your inheritance. So to belong to God means something. God's been trying to tell them that to belong to him means something. Maybe now they're starting to get it. I don't know. I mean, at least Moses does. Well, and 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 yeah, see, isn't that amazing how Moses immediately responds to hearing the law and the gospel? And because of the law there, the, the fact that, there, that God doesn't just let sin go. No, sooner or later, sin will be punished. And, and that's what causes him to quickly bow his head and, and, and to worship. Because he knows, okay, this is a problem. We, we have sinned, and we deserve nothing from God but his punishment. And yet at the same time, he's heard that gospel about a God who's slow to anger, a God who wants to forgive sin. And so on the basis then of that gospel, he then says, well, Lord, please, I, I know what we are. We're stiff-necked people, but please pardon our iniquity. And and yeah, uh, uh, Pastor Boo, yeah, that's the big point, isn't it? Because God had said, I don't even think I can come along with you guys anymore. And, and here as the intercessor, Moses says, please, Please, please go, because you know what? The, an angel will not be enough for us, and not, it will not be enough for me. That's for sure. We we need you to be with us, and will you do that? But but can can our listeners see? The only reason Moses can make that prayer is because he heard the Lord, the Lord of Hesed, you know, the steadfast love. Because uh, if you don't know that Lord, then 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 all you would do is just despair, and you'd say, well, I guess I'm condemned to hell, and I have no hope. Um, cause, cause you know, there, there are, there are two reactions, three reactions, I suppose, to the law. Uh, the one is where you just say, well, I don't care. Like you said, I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what God says. Uh, but then there's that other that hears the law and then despairs of all things. Uh, and certainly that God doesn't want that either. Uh, but what God wants is, well, here's what he wants from us. Just what Moses does, that we just worship him, that we acknowledge the fact that we are stiff necked people, but that we also trust, okay, Lord, don't don't abandon us, forgive us, and 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 help us bear the fruit uh, of that love and forgiveness. Perhaps it's related to your you know, what you said was the first type that people could react, and that is, I, I just don't care. Uh, or maybe this is a whole new reaction altogether. But I think another thing we see, and especially in today's world, but we see it even in the scriptures, is the questioning of God. So when God says, you know, I'm a God of steadfast love, et cetera, et cetera, but I also will punish sin, Moses does not say, well, now, God, that doesn't make sense to me. That is, let's break that down. Well, that's not <laughs> fair. Or, or God, well, why would you do this? He just worships God. And then you, you fast forward, not that you have to because we see people who question God even in the scriptures, but you fast forward today and you have people say, well, it, it, what, what God just what? He just wants to be worshiped? You know, he must be arrogant or he must be narcissistic. You know, they are tr attributing uh, human qualities to him. But it's like we've we've lost in some cases this understanding that this is the creator of the universe. You don't get a choice. You know, we have to be put put our we have to kind of be smacked around like like God had to do to Job. You know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I think we just have domesticated God so much that we forget that. God is the creator of all things. He's holy other. And for us to question him as opposed to just bowing down and just obeying and just being grateful for our existence is something that has come around with with this, you know, this idea that we are our own gods and and, and intellect and all that stuff is more important than obedience to God.
So I think the answer to that, that that attitude, uh, relates to what we'll have at the end of this chapter. So I'm I'm, I'm not going to comment on it now. I, I'd like to wait until we get to the end, because those people, I think, uh, the the face of Moses is veiled to them, uh, and we'll talk about how the New Testament uses that image. But but you're describing people for whom the 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 uh, um, the message of Moses, the face of Moses, is veiled, uh, because to those who actually see Moses. And, and, and the law that he's bringing, you could never react the way you just described. It just right. wouldn't be, as, as you see here with Moses, you just, you couldn't do that. You would quickly bow down your head and you wouldn't be worrying about worshiping him because you had to worship him. It's just, right. it would be that the response that would come straight from your heart. You wouldn't be worrying about any commandments at all. Uh, but again, like I said, I'd like to wait on that until we get to yeah, the that's whole fine. business of the, the veiling of Moses. Yeah. Well, that sounds good because you know what? It's time for us to take a break anyway. So, folks, when we come back, Pastor Lekomsky, I will keep going with Exodus chapter 34. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend John Lakomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also here on KFUO. Now, before we jump back into the text, I just want to remind you, if you have questions or comments about today's show, feel free to direct them to me. My email address is pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, there are lots of ways to get a hold of me, and I'm happy to answer your questions on or off the air. All right, Pastor Lukomsky, before the break, you know, you had uh, hinted at something we're going to see later in the text. Uh, right now, though, is there anything else you want to cover before I read the next big chunk right here in the middle, all the way down to verse 28, uh, where uh, the covenant is renewed by God? So, so uh, 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 Pastor Boo, see, you shouldn't take a break because then, then I have time to think. I have a question to ask you because <laughs> uh, I don't know for sure what, what the answer would be. You had you made the point earlier that when we have this beautiful, the, the 13 attributes, as the Jews call it, that's a great thing to call it, these 13 descriptions. But, but you pointed out that it's Yahweh's name there, the Lord, the Lord, uh, all caps in, in the, the Bible translations because it's actually God's name, Yahweh, Yahweh. And I just noticed that in, in, in Moses' response, you know, mm -hmm. when he says, let the Lord go on, he doesn't use Yahweh. Yeah, He, I saw he that uses too. The, the, the more common Adonai or master uh, in that sense. Do you think there's any significance in that, uh, that, that as he responds in worship, he doesn't call him 
Lord, but he calls him Adonai. He doesn't use that holy name of God. Uh, I, I, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely noticed that too as I was reading because you know I'm having to decide on the fly how I'll how I'll read it, and sure. yeah, that, that stood out to me that okay, these are not capitalized. This is Moses uh, uh, saying this. Now I don't have anything official, but right off my top of my head, I'm thinking as you may be too that this is a sign of humility. That even though Yahweh has given His name to His people. And, and that's sort of very common even during this time period, that to know the name of your God is to be able to call upon that God. Um, even among the pagans, they understood that. You know, If you knew the name of the God, you could essentially control the God. Now, now in, of course, for the one true God, he operates within their understanding of things, so he gives them um, his name so that they can call upon him in prayer and praise, as Luther might say. But, but when he goes to call upon him, he says, oh, Lord, and my only thought is because of the plea, because what he's asking is he says, if now I have found favor in your sight and then pardon our sins, our iniquities and take for us your inheritance. Moses seems to me a little hesitant to just declare that he's their people because he knows just how grievous the sin is to literally make a calf, call the calf Yahweh and then call the calf the God who brought you out of Egypt. I mean, it's kind of the worst thing you could do. And so I think that at this point, he's sort of like saying, I, you know, are we, do we still have your name? Can we still call upon you? And then that's what happens next. God makes it clear that yes, they can, because he says, now I'm going to make this covenant. He's going to renew the covenant that gave them the ability to call upon his name. But that's just me spitballing. What do you think? No, well, and, and, and I like that uh, because if, if we want to run with, with the idea and, and the concern that you've expressed that people would say, oh, well, God's a God of love. God's going to forgive me. What difference does it make what I do? Well, well, certainly that attitude is totally excluded then by the words of Moses, isn't it? He, he doesn't take anything for granted. I'm not even going to refer to you, even though you've given me permission to refer to, calls upon me to do this. But no, okay, uh, in this context, in my repentance, no, it's Adonai. I know, again, I'd love the fact it's a stiff-necked people, so I don't know. Uh, but but you're right. Then it makes what's next uh, even more beautiful because it is God saying, no, 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 Moses, remember what I told you. I am Yahweh. I am the God who's slow to anger. I am the God of hesed, this, this steadfast love. So, so let's get back at what we need to do. Uh, and I think that's the tension we all have as Christians. We do not want to become proud. We do not want to think, well, well, like you said, that God is a God of love, so it doesn't really matter what I do. No, we need to understand, no, it matters a lot what we do, and we are sinful people, and, and that stiff-neckedness is still part of our lives, uh, so we need to come to the Lord humbly. But then, then again, what is the Lord going to do? Is he going to chastise us? No. No, when we come to him, he's going to say, look, 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 here it is. You are my people. And, and so now we have that, as you said, now, uh, although I think this is also a good lead in for the next verses, because God's going to go back over the fundamental thing about worship. And he's going to say, let's get this clarified. Okay. If there was some misunderstanding what I said, when you should worship me alone, let me get really, really specific about it. And, and that he does in several ways in these next few verses. He certainly does. Let's take in those verses. This will be 18 verses, so it'll be a little lengthy, but we'll we'll get through it. Here we go. And he said, this is God, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. 
and all the people among you are, uh, sorry, are whom, pardon me, here we go. And all the people among whom you are shall seek the work of Yahweh, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, and break down their pillars, and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other god, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I have commanded you, at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruit of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before Yahweh God, the God of Israel. I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before Yahweh your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the sacrifice of the Feast of Passover remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of Yahweh your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And Yahweh said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with, the, with Yahweh forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Ooh, so yeah, we hear a lot throughout this text. You know, um, I am the I'm Yahweh your God, Yahweh God, God of Israel. Uh, he definitely is driving it home. Which, you know, I guess when you read it, depends on the inflection in your voice. You could read that as either law, which is a little bit how I read it, right? Is just sort of driving these things home. But it's equally gospel because he's saying, "Look, I'm your God. These things are for you. I don't have to do any of this for you." Uh, so I think this. This is also a text where the Holy Spirit decides how it applies as, you know, it goes into your ear. And, and it's interesting because, you know, there, there's another parallel because if we go back to the original Ten Commandments, uh, God actually begins them by saying, you know, I'm the one that freed you from the land of Egypt, uh, which, which I think is just a cool way to begin by saying, no, I'm not asking you to do things so you'll be my people. You are my people. I've already demonstrated that. 
uh, uh, but now this is what you need to do as my people. And you kind of got the same thing here. He, he begins by saying, I'm going to do awesome things for you. <laughs> you shall see the work of the Lord. Uh, in fact, all these nations I promised you this land, I'm going to give to you. It's totally, it's independent of whether you, whatever you do, this is what I'm doing. Now, of course, whether you get to enjoy this or not, yeah, that would make a big difference <laughs> in whether you do what I tell you to do or not. But but no, the the, the wonders, again, I, I'm in the past I did it, I'm going to do it in the future. And now again, as you said, but here's the things you need to do. And and, and isn't it interesting that, that he says, uh, you know, so here, here's problem number one, you're going to be tempted to worship these false idols, even as I'm destroying these gods. Isn't you talk about being illogical? Why would you worship the right. God of a nation that you've just defeated? <laughs> that seems kind of stupid. Uh, but but then again, I'm thinking about the disciples and Jesus said, "Why are you worried about loaves? <laughs> Doesn't that? I mean, just do the math, people. Loaves are not a big issue. But but anyway, so so yeah, so certainly don't don't tear down these altars. Don't get involved in, in uh, whoring with them and marrying their daughters. And then verse 17, if, if I didn't make it clear to you, you shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. <laughs> okay, let's get that. Right. And, and then the business with the feast things, I, I, I didn't understand that yet. But but again, I'll, I'll give credit to the Jewish commentary because he made it very clear. The problem was when they made the golden calf, Aaron said, let's have a feast. That was the deal. We're going to establish a feast here. It'll be the feast of the golden calf. And, and, and essentially what God is saying here, that's not how it works. You don't establish your feasts. You don't determine how you're going to worship me. No, no, I am the Lord. I will tell you what feasts I want. I will tell you how I want to be worshiped. And that's what you will do. Uh, and, and you know, it's funny because we're still doing that today. We're coming up with our own little concoctions and saying, well, this is how we're going to worship the Lord. And, 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 you know, that was what the Reformation was all about, that the church had figured up all kinds of different ways of worshiping God. And, and none of them had to do anything with the word of God or with faith. <laughs> and of sure. course, Luther came and said, we, we need no, but that's what we do. We just make up our own ways of work. And I go think it goes back to what you were talking about, because isn't that what people do? The people who say, well, I, I can do whatever I want because God's a God of love. Aren't they kind of essentially just make it? You talked about worshiping God, but they're just doing what they want to do, aren't they? They're not actually asking the Lord, well, how, how would you be worshiped? How would you help us to understand that you are a God slow to anger? and a God of steadfast love. Well, anyway, that that's the thoughts I had as we were reading over all of that. Yeah, and we see, you know, these festival of weeks also have to do with receiving what God gives them through the harvest. Uh, so, you know, it connects the ingathering and and the and the reaping. It connects that to God's hand, which is also all obviously a very good thing to do. You know, we think about Thanksgiving here in the United States. Well, Thanksgiving, you know, established by George Washington, was a day to honor the gifts of God. Uh, now, I don't know if it remains that. It certainly does among Christian folks. But Thanksgiving is about giving thanks to God, a special time. And here, of course, God's setting that for them. And it also probably keeps them because people in general hunger after ritual, so it probably keeps them from adopting the rituals of their pagan neighbors, right? So you want kings? Here's a king. We, we find that out later. You want rituals? Here's rituals, but they're for me. And interestingly, or I think it's curious, 
we have this very strange addition about you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And it's like, where did that come from? And so is that, uh, it's not something we heard of them doing. So is that just yet another kind of strange uh, goings on in the pagan culture that God just makes clear? Listen, you don't take these pagan worship practices and import them into, into worship of me. You're going to worship me how I want you to worship me. Uh, and so maybe that's possibly, or do you have another explanation for that odd addition of don't boil a young goat's in its mother's milk? Well, you know, I, I think probably absolutely what you said. It probably was a practice that was fairly common. And so, again, anything that's pagan, we have to, you know, that, that's that whole thing about the profane uh, uh, and, and the holy. Uh, so, so we've got to make our practices quite clear and distinct from what the pagans are doing. Although I'm just thinking, it does seem kind of cruel, doesn't it, <laughs> to take the mother's milk and then, then you know, cook the. Yeah, it seems like that's just is a wrong thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I, I've but heard that, that explanation that it's sort of a, a humanitarian thing, and it does yeah. feel wrong, I suppose. But I mean, probably no less wrong than actually just killing an animal. I mean, so I, I don't know. I, I, well, don't for go instance, vegan on me, please. No, no, no. It's like, for instance, I love a good steak, but I will have trouble eating veal because I think veal mm. animals, baby calves, are typically fairly mistreated. They're put in a box so that they can't yeah. move, and that's the animal that you use for veal. And, and there's other people out there, and I'm not hard, I'm not burdening your conscience. There's other people out there that may have no problem with that. So, so for me, I guess it depends on the person. So one person may see this method of cooking as being kind of cruel, where another person will be say, will say, oh, what's the difference? Uh, I don't, I, yeah, I really don't know. It just seems like an odd addition. Um, but, but he does add it. And, and, and of course now, and maybe I'm being a little cavalier about it, but it seems like Jews will not eat like cheeseburgers because there's cheese on the burger the and that's like the mother's yeah, milk yeah. with the... And I think that's probably excessive. I don't know. So, so however, you, you've really now pointed us to the key thing in all of this. What is the difference between the way God gives us to worship? He said this just a moment ago. Uh, the difference between the way God gives us to worship and our self-chosen forms of worship. In all of our self-chosen forms of worship, it's about what we're doing for God. And that's what it becomes, right? So we we have these fasts and we had all these rituals and festivals that you used to have to do uh, back in the medieval ages. And, and we still have those things that are, are popping up here and there. But the emphasis is, oh, this is what we have to do, see, for God. But but the, the heart of worship is, no, we're just responding to what God has done for us. You know, that that's what I'm saying. When Moses fell down and worshiped the Lord, he wasn't thinking, oh, I guess, let's see, that's one of the commandments. I guess I better do that. No, no, it was just the response of faith. Uh, the fact that now he'd really come into the presence of a God who does visit iniquity, and yet a God who wants to be a God of of, of steadfast love and, and forgiveness. Um, and, and so that's, as, as we were having our discussion, that's what dawned on me. When we make up our own worship, uh, 
It's all about us doing something for God. And don't you think that was the thing? That's what was bothering Aaron. He said, oh, my God, you know, Moses isn't here. I don't know what's happening to Moses. Well, I guess we need to do something uh, to show God that we still love him, that we're we're praying to him and concerned for him. So we'll build this golden calf, which, of course, is in direct contradiction to what God told. But, but I think that's just how it is. When we come up with our own worship, it's always about us doing something for God. And the God-given worship, and think about your, what you do on a Sunday morning. The God-given worship, uh, Pastor Boo, is all about what God gives to us, isn't it? From the get-go, right. you get up and say to people, your sins are forgiven. That's what God is doing for us. From the get-go, you say, here's the body and blood given and shed for you. Again, it's about what God does for us. Certainly in your sermons, you talk about what we need to do. But I'll bet you that that the chief thing, uh, 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 three or four to a, a, hundred, a thousand, is about what God has done for us. So well, thank but you. even when you've we, actually given me an insight but, that I did not see the first time I read through this. But even when we talk, say, in the sermon about what we need to do, that, as you already pointed out, is the response to what God has given us. So even Absolutely. in terms of the so-called application or law, that's always in response to, like, well, we want to. So I was thinking about what you're saying. So we think about Moses falling down because he's in the presence of God. Now, if you're someone, um, as I am, who genuflex at the altar say when the presence of the sacrament is there are you doing that out of recognition that there's the true god who comes to us in this special way through word and through through the body and blood through this bread and wine or are you doing it because well i know if i get within two feet of the altar i have to bow that way you know it's like there is the practice itself often isn't what's bad or good it's like why are you doing this are you doing it just because you feel like you should and, and i'll give you a quick example at one of my congregations um i won't say which one <laughs> but uh, they had a uh, they had a practice of after receiving the Lord's Supper, when people returned to their pew, they would stand there for a few minutes or a few seconds, I should say, and they would sit down. And um, I, I finally asked because I hadn't really observed that before in any other congregation. I said, well, what are you guys doing? And they said, oh, that's the countdown. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> they said, well, after communion, you go back to your pew, you count to 10 and then you sit down. And what I had figured out was happening is that people early on had come back to their pew and they'd said a little prayer and sat down. Prayer for thanks for the Eucharist or whatever. They would say a little prayer. But then over time, because that wasn't really taught to people, people just saw others doing it and they didn't know why they did it. So they just did it. They would go back to their pew and they would just stand there, count to 10 and sit down because it seemed like that's what everybody else was doing. So then you had a whole congregation full of people who would stand there for 10 seconds because that was tradition, but had no idea how it started or what the point of it was. So, so worship practices aren't like bad in and of themselves often. It's like, but are they done from a position of I'm acknowledging this is the one true God who comes to me here? Or are they being done for the benefit of others seeing you do it, et cetera, et cetera? Or as if you're serving God, he's going to be pleased with you. God will be mad if you don't bow a little bit when you pass by the altar. You know, that's that's not the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, he's going to get upset if you don't stand for 10 seconds after right. the Lord's Supper. Uh, uh, absolutely. that That's the thing. Is it is it just something we do for ritual, or is it something we're doing out of faith? And, and of course, the key thing there is, why did you go up to the altar in the first place? Did you go up just because, oh, yeah, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the time we go up and take the Lord's Supper? Or did you go up there like Moses, knowing that, man, I'm, I'm a damn sinner. Man, right. I'm so glad that he's going to give me his body and blood for me, for the forgiveness of my sin sins, which now we, we've got to get onto this shining face of Moses. Yeah, let's do it because we're running out of time. Yeah. I'm going to read it very quickly. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that Yahweh had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before Yahweh to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded, and the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. There we go. That's the text. Uh, some, yep. some quick insights before we're at the end of the show. Well, so, so the way that uh, Paul uses this uh, veiling of Moses and, and Luther picks up on this too. See, see, the thing is they didn't really want to, they didn't really want to see the law. Uh, they were scared of God. Uh, we know Moses has talked to God. And, and, and so Moses has to be veiled when he comes to us because we don't. And, and see, that's the, that's the thing. No, you, you have to let the law come and shine in all of its glory and all of its might. Uh, you have to let the law come and shine into your heart that shows you that you are indeed stiff-necked and that you are indeed a sinner. If you ever hear the law of God and you say, oh, I know people who do that, then you have not. Then the law is veiled. The, the, the face of Moses is veiled to you because you've only heard the law when you hear it and you say, oh, man, that's me. Right. Yeah, I am the one who has committed adultery because I've lusted. Je Jesus is really good at taking the veil off of the face of Moses. Yeah, I'm the one who's committed murder because I've I've insulted my brother and I've been angry with him. Uh, and, and so that's the significance here. Uh, they, they don't want it. They don't want to see the law. You know, uh, so, so so here's our response. We know we can't keep the law, so just don't tell us the law. <laughs> we'll just put a veil over it and, and, right. and we'll deal with it that way. Uh, but that's not how the law comes. Uh, you know, Luther points out the law comes and it it just destroys us. It just shows us that we are sinners and there's absolutely no hope for us in any work that we do. And, and then then we're ready to hear about the Lord, the Lord, the, the one who is slow to anger, the one who forgives. Because you're right, with, without that law, we do just what you said. We, we just say, oh, okay, that's great. God loves me. God forgives me. Yeah. Uh, no, no, those, those words ought to make all of us, if not physically, outwardly, but at least in our hearts, we should be falling on our knees and say, man, thank God you're that kind of Lord. Because there's no way I could get through day by day without having that kind of God who's a God of uh, said a, a God of steadfast love. Um, so anyway, that that's what I wanted to share with you there about, about the veil. And that's the understanding no, that's that, great. like you said, the, the New Testament has. Well, I know we could have continued talking about this for quite some time, but we are toward the end of our program. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio, which airs on Saturdays at 9 a.m. And so both he and his co-host will be back on the show, so tune into that. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you, Pastor Boo. It's always fun to talk with you. Let's talk to you next month. Folks, uh, I want to let you know a little about a little special feature we're trying out here on Thy Strong Word. On the first Friday of each month, we're going to be stepping away from whatever book we're covering to talk about a special topic. I'm calling these Free Text Fridays. And our first one, our first, is this Friday, 
Now, I, I hear you barking, big dog. You're saying that this Friday isn't the first Friday of the month. Well, that's true, but it is the first Friday since we've come back from break. So close enough. Tune in this Friday as my guest is the Reverend Amadeus Gandhi. He's going to lead us through a closer look at those verses from our liturgy, which come not from the 66 books of the Bible, but rather the Apocrypha. So it should be pretty interesting. But then tomorrow, though, we're going to stay on track and we're going to turn the page to chapter 35. God is preparing to have people build his tabernacle, but first they need the materials. That's what we'll cover. We'll explore that. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we all pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.